Hello and welcome to another episode of our coffee podcast. I am Tim Wendelbow and today we are going to kind of have a sneak listen to a conversation that I had with my friend Morten Munchau, who is a coffee researcher based in Copenhagen. Now I recorded this podcast in Copenhagen in August 2021 and unfortunately I had some problems with my iPhone so the whole conversation didn't get recorded. Uh, we were kind of cut off by some mistakes in the in the technology so I I'm really sorry about that, but we do have uh, the majority of the conversation recorded. So I thought I would share that with you. And uh, maybe we can have a chat with Morten on a later stage uh, where we can maybe have some uh, other insights into what he's working with and working on. Now, this is kind of a first of two episodes that I've recorded together with uh, Morten. Um, the second one, we're focusing more on sensory science and the research that they've done with different acids and there's the sensorial properties of those acids and so on. So that's a pretty interesting conversation as well. But the first episode is all about coffee roasting and uh, we're talking a little bit about in detail what uh, types of uh, findings Morten has had with his coffee roasting research. I really hope you enjoyed the episode and stay tuned for more episodes in the near future. Okay. Yes. Well, welcome to another episode of the Tim Wendelbow Coffee Podcast. Today I have with me uh, uh, an old friend, I would say. I've known you for maybe 20 years. I was assistant when you did the Cup Tasters uh, Championship. I was the one bringing you the cups. 2005. Yeah. So that's why I won. I feel a little <laughs> bit with the cups. <laughs> so I'm here with Morten Munchau, uh, old friend and a coffee researcher, uh, I would say. Maybe you can introduce yourself, tell me who you are and, or tell the audience who you are and what you do. Yes, so the short version, I have a background in biology and philosophy actually from the university. Went straight to be a roastmaster at Contra Coffee in Copenhagen from 2005 to 7 by some coincidence and started my freelance career in 2007 as a trainer at London School of Coffee and a consultant uh, already two years after I started. Uh, coffee roasting and um, and uh, then I've been very much involved with the SCA uh, certification system I was the first lead creator after the they turned it into the three level system and then I've done a lot of work at food science uh, I've got uh, nine publications now and two more coming um, so I've worked a lot there part-time but have my had my own uh, consultancy and education company uh, 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 over the years and yeah. been a, a lot in in London so now, and, and the number I've, I've, I've calculated the times I've been in London and the trainees are, or the people I've had here in Copenhagen I've trained more than 1,400 wow. uh, individuals in small groups of six to eight uh, since 2007 so I've been training a lot yeah. <laughs> a lot of people so if you don't like the coffee around the world it's your fault exactly <laughs> I take, take the blame <laughs> No, and the name of your company now is Coffee Mind. Yes. Where you work with a sensory scientist as well. Yes, Ida Steen. Yeah. And uh, tell me a little bit about what uh, you're doing together. 
Yeah, so uh, I actually spoke with Contras Roastmaster Reza here uh, just before the, the podcast, and uh, and he was really, he, he listened to a lot of podcasts, including yours, uh, and he said, it's surprising how few people actually talking about sensory. Mm. Everybody talks about curves and technicalities, but but how do you actually check whether what you're doing in the roasting is relevant? That was striking for, for him. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, I always knew that this is the purpose. Everything we do at the roaster, the purpose is how it tastes. And I was kind of semi-okay and, you know, I'm sure I could pick up the most important stuff. But I thought, this is really the, the, the focus. Yeah. And then I started some project at the university and kind of networked my into the, to the sensory department and did some projects and found Ida. And luckily I could get a, a position for her. Uh, after having worked with her for a small year and uh, so I really wanted Sensory to be the other leg of the company because I just knew that this is so important for coffee roasting that if I should ever expand the company Sensory would be in the direction. Yeah and they, together you've done a lot of research on... Yeah, they, imagine aspects. having your own uh, Sensory scientist in-house, yeah. uh, it's uh, <laughs> amazing. So, so of course we were the first ones to ever do really a research project where the Sensory evaluation was integrated. Mostly if you, I would say that our research is the first research where the uh, coffee roasting community is able to actually see the curves and have an idea of how to apply it. Yeah. Normally you would see high temperature uh, uh, lo- uh, uh, short time or low temperature long time, no idea where the crack is, no idea what color it is, uh, might be reported in organic roast loss percentage. Yeah. Well, how do you measure that? Yeah. So, so it was very important to create some roast profiles where people could really identify uh, or see themselves in the profile, but most importantly, connect uh, quantitative scientific sensory evaluation of those profiles. So I would say we're the first ones to ever do research that is relevant from a Roastmaster's perspective and with quantified uh, sensory data connected. Yeah. So, so that, that's what was possible with, with, uh, with EDA in-house. Yeah, because I've read you know, a lot of maybe old now technical books where they present a lot of research on roasting and it's always kind of a big commodity companies doing it. So as a kind of small, high quality, focused roaster, I never felt it was so relevant for me, although you could take some learning from it. But uh, the curves look different, the times are completely different. You know, they were talking about long roast at six minutes sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they have different types of roasters uh, and they weren't speaking the same language as maybe the smaller roasters are. And uh, I, th- I feel like at least now uh, the roasting community are using more or less the same logging systems for, uh, for evaluating how the roast look like. and. So it's easier to kind of discuss uh, at least profiles, you know? Yes, which is great. Another thing with the the research that's there, it's often uh, uh, chemical evaluations and not sensory, which is also interesting, but but, uh, as we'll probably also touch later in this interview is how often there's no direct link between uh, the chemistry and the sensory perceived uh, data, mm. such as the Nordic Roaster Forum uh, uh, evaluation, where we saw a clear relationship between development time and perceived sweetness. Yeah. But when we looked at the chemical data, there was no uh, change in the sugar content across. So it wasn't sugar co- uh, causing the, 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 the modulation of sweetness, but it was more like an aroma. So it's, it's perceived sweetness. So the panel is not wrong, mm. 
but it's just not sugar. Yeah. It's a flavor or an aroma that drives the... So so often there's no direct link between the chemistry. There's no trivia trivi- trivi- link. So that's why you need the sensory data yeah. uh, to, to really understand what's going on. Uh, yeah, so just to sum up how you've been doing some of the research is we used to have a forum called the Nordic Roaster Forum where professional roaster would gather and um, you actually present some research projects and use us as uh, the tasters without us really knowing it and then you could use that data later um, because that's also a critique that a lot of times people give is like oh yeah but who was the evaluators you know was they were they amateurs that didn't know how to taste coffee but now we can't really criticize you for not using coffee professionals no 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 that's true yeah, that, that's really also fascinating with those data that it, it, it's really coffee professionals mm. uh, uh, providing excellent data because remember all the samples were uh, tri- uh, triplicates and mm. randomized yeah. and then only the, the, uh, the attributes were scored. So if there's any uh, consistency between samples, it cannot be a coincidence because it's triplicate and blinded. So it was really high quality data that we, we could get and it, it was the methodology was exactly like they do at the universities with the blinding and, and, and triplicates and, and randomization. Yeah, and that kind of brings us to what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about roasting and try to simplify it a little bit. And one of the things that I really love about how you work is that you actually use proper scientific methods and only try to change one thing at a time. And, <laughs> you know, very often as a coffee I would say professional with a uh, with a little ir- irony there because we're all kind of amateurs. We love what we do, but sometimes when we test things, it's based on you know we try to make an espresso, for instance, and then we taste it and say, ah, oh, this was a little sour, and then we make another one, changing what we think is one thing, and maybe that tasted better, but maybe we actually changed more than one thing, you know? Yeah. Because it was not the same beans, it might have been a different pressure, it might have been, been the tamping was not on level. You know, it's very difficult to control one attribute at a time. Uh, and you also have to be very uh, conscious about what is important to control. Yeah. And, and, and here I very often see people experimenting with airflow, inlet temperature, drum speed, um, and not checking that the different uh, roasts are the same color yeah which means uh, which is fair enough or in a sense it's not because then you have the drum speed airflow or uh, or inlet temperature uh, different but you also have a different color and 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 from our research we can see that color is 90 percent of the, the the reason for flavor change so if you set up an experiment and don't check that the color is the same then for sure the differences you taste on the cuff, uh, cupping table is caused by color and yeah. not by different drum speeds. So that's the, that's the worst case scenario of a wrong research design where you don't... Uh, one thing is everything else equal, but at least you need to keep the most important parameters yeah. equal. And this is the most common mistake I see um, uh, when people do coffee roasting experiments. They think that they are t- checking this but really, <laughs> it's something else that drives the, yeah. the, the flavor difference on the cupping table without them being aware. So they are walking away with a conclusion about drum speed, where actually what was driving the difference was the color. Mm. And, 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 and this is where the, I think the, where we could perhaps the next five, 10 years help the coffee community to, to just know a bit more about uh, research design. It's not that complicated, no. actually, if you break it down. 
Uh, just things like that. Yeah, you need to know what to control. But let's uh, start from scratch because uh, we're already using a lot of technical terms. And I know a lot of the listeners are coffee professionals, but we also have people who are not coffee professionals and maybe they're not even coffee roasters. So let's just talk about what is coffee roasting. Yeah. Can you explain that very simply? I'll try. Yeah. Uh, coffee roasting is uh, heating up an organic material where uh, by increasing the heat, a lot of chemical reactions can happen. The organic material being raw coffee beans. Raw coffee beans, yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> um, and the reason why this is so important to, to kind of start with that is that it's, it's actually pretty simple. The amount of energy that you put in is the crucial driver of these chemical reactions. Mm. And the more energy you put in, the darker it becomes. Yeah. Therefore, color is the most uh, important predictor of flavor change. So it's kind of, to simplify, if I make a piece of toast for breakfast, and I leave it in the toaster for a minute longer than normal, I can expect the toast to be a little bit more burnt. Yes, and a corresponding flavor change. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to say it in a technical term. More bitterness and, uh, and so forth. Yes, smoky so flavors. What do you actually then uh, measure when you, when you roast? Like uh, what kind of parameters are we looking for in a roaster? You say the amount of energy, but how you apply that energy and for how long you apply it will also have a change because I could, you know, technically just have an explosion underneath the roaster and get the coffee brown in two minutes. Yes. Or I could spend 30 minutes getting to the same color or the roast degree. Um, so what other kind of parameters? We have time, temperature. Yes, so it's, it's time and temperature. Yeah. You're, you're completely right. That's the two fundamental. And there's a, a, a hopefully short way of explaining this. Uh, if you have this green coffee, uh, let's say you have a small amount of green coffee, uh, and uh, in which 1,000 reactions uh, could possi uh, possibly happen. Some of them is combination of new, new substances and some is breakdown of other substances. And um, this is something called uh, kinetics in chemistry and that's the most fundamental understanding of these kind of, of, of processes. So the whole point is that when you elevate the temperature of this material, the molecule starts to vibrate a bit quicker and, and the whole point here is that the, the quicker they vibrate, the more often they will meet by coincidence. And, uh, and, that, uh, and sometimes when they meet, they com combine. So the whole point is, if you, if you elevate the temperature a lot, this just happens more often, and then you'll get a, a brown color quicker. And if you uh, elevate the temperature uh, and keep it for a longer time, then the time is compensating for the s slowness of the molecules and then you eventually you eventually you will uh, end up with the same amount of newly connected molecules that's why when you are talking about color you can either have a high temperature at, under which you will get a very dark color or you can have a a, a bit uh, lower temperature and you can just keep it for longer and eventually you will you will reach the same color so this is this is the reason why uh, there's a, such a direct connection between temperature and time because mm -hmm. this is the fundamental understanding. So when when will 50% of these uh, of these thousand molecules have combined? That depends on how much uh, time they've sp spent at certain temperatures. And and this is where uh, I really think it's important to keep coming back to time and temperature and not a lot of weird uh, uh, derived uh, calculations that you could do because 
they actually are a step away from the basic principles. Mm. So that's why I always I always urge people to just talk about temperature and time unless you have a very specific reason to do some extra calculations on the data you have. I know by experience, and this is going to be a kind of stupid question, I know by experience the answer, but so if we say that color, you said it was 90% of, uh, of uh, approximately 90%. And normally we say 80. 80% <laughs> of uh, how the coffee tastes like is because of the, its roasting degree or color. So we can measure the color in uh, different ways. We can use lasers or infrared or... So we know that if we measure color and the color is the same, the coffee should taste the same. But is that, let's say if I roasted a coffee in three minutes and I reached a color number of, let's say, 95, and then I roasted the same coffee for 20 minutes and I reached the color of 95, uh, will they taste the same? Yeah, and that, and that that's, uh, that's that's an amazing question because that that's obviously the the essence of this. Uh, 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 Eighty percent yes and twenty percent no. Okay. According to our data, right? Yeah. So because the color is the same, they are eighty percent equal, but the timing is uh, is around twenty percent uh, different. Mm. Um, and uh, so so I'm definitely not saying timing is not important. I'm just saying that color is is kind of the first step. Uh, on, on understanding what have you done to the coffee and then 20% is the last. So that's why I think color reading in product development and quality control is a, a necessary but not sufficient uh, way of going about it because it's necessary because it's 80%, yeah. but it's not sufficient. You need the roast logger software to, to kind of log in the last 20%. Um, and most people think color, color is boring, it's for commodity, it's... Yeah, but it's if you want to understand what you've done, you need to start there and then build on top of that, and not just dismiss color and go straight to the fancy stuff. That yeah. only, um, of course, the timing is the difference between a boring and a very in interesting coffee, mm. for sure. So it's very important for the specialty coffee business because this is where we operate. Um, but uh, I have a very good example. I've been using color measurements since I started roasting, and I cannot uh, uh, imagine roasting without it because. It just tells me what roast degree I am at. And a very good example now, we just had our uh, roasting machine on service and we changed the thermometer probe because the old one had a little bend in it. So we were worried it would break very soon. So we felt it was time for it to, cha to change it. And then we could definitely see that this new probe, for some reason, was reading a couple of degrees higher than our old one. So if we had just followed the same profile and, and taken it out on the same temperature, it would actually be uh, lighter in color because it was reading a couple of degrees higher than yeah. the old one and uh, without color measurement you wouldn't know this so then yeah. it would send out coffee to customers that were maybe completely unroasted or underdeveloped and they will get a lot of complaints and you would scratch your head why because everything yeah. looked the same yeah you wouldn't even know why perhaps yeah and and this is very obvious now we are sitting here in in in, uh, in my academy and uh, every roaster uh, you, uh, you always get the first crack at the same temperature inside the bean mm. if you were able to drill a, a probe inside the bean. That's a measure of how much, much energy you've added. But the interesting thing is that every roaster has a, a different uh, bean temperature uh, uh, at first crack even at the same bean. So if you go between these it's very obvious that that uh, that, that none of these shows you the the right uh, uh, temperature. Exactly. Um, 
And this is where it's interesting, the stronghold and the, the bullet that we have, that they have an infrared uh, thermometer. And it's if it, when you develop different uh, uh, batch sizes of the same coffee, you can actually use the infrared as a really precise way of getting the same profile at, at different uh, batch sizes. Mm. So that, that's an interesting, but even here there are probably also some differences. Uh, but so, so the point is, it's not that interesting. Of course, the, the roast logger software and all the other things you get, that, that's really interesting, but you need to read the color yeah. because <laughs> it's, that's kind of the absolute evaluation where the other uh, is really interesting, but for other reasons where it's more relative, uh, perhaps. Mm. So a question about time again, and we're talking about first crack. Uh, maybe some of our listeners don't know what the first crack is. So before we move on, maybe you can just quickly explain what, what's first crack. It's a uh, point where the beans uh, sound like popcorn yeah. because of the steam inside boiling uh, and the material becomes more fragile and at some point uh, yeah. it, it pops like a popcorn. So there's water, still around 10% water in the coffee bean and when you heat it up, it becomes steam. Yeah. Coffee bean is really hard so it kind of explodes inside. Yes. Yeah, but not like popcorn. It's actually no. just a small crack uh, yeah. and it doesn't turn the inside out. So And that's what we call first crack or yeah, and it can happen a second time also in roasting, which is not so common for us uh, Nordic roasters to, to hear anymore. But uh, at least in the old days, we would roast our espresso to second crack. Yeah. And that's because of a gas uh, accumulation of CO2 gas in the beans. Yeah. And the same thing happening. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's two different phases. And the interesting, talking about first principles, I absolutely love first and second crack because it's a signal directly from the material that we are uh, handling. So it's, it's, again, it's a first principle because it's, a, a, it's an indicator that comes directly from the coffee and not some reading that might be a bit off or mm. some weird calculation that's not even relevant for the coffee and, and, and things like that. So that's really the coffee speaking to you. Yeah. One of the problems in the coffee roasting is that as we were talking about Different machines will give you different temperature readings, even if you're at the same level of roast degree, which is first crack, which is a, the, the beans telling you now we're in first crack. Yeah. The temperature should be the same, if, especially if it was the same coffee. But uh, let's say on a Loring, it would say uh, 198 degrees. On my old probat, it would say 160 degrees, you know? On and this probat, it's 190. Coffee take it's 160. Uh, stronghold it's 168 and on the bullet it's uh, 198 I think uh, and on the Ikawa it's around 203 or something like yeah. that plus minus a few degrees depending on the coffee. So the probe thickness has something to say but also where it's placed and it's actually you're actually not measuring the bean temperature you're measuring a temperature inside a roasting environment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah in between beans with a mixture of beans and air and yeah. But uh, so the question I very often get from other roasters is what temperature do you end your roast and what's the total time and what development time and I, I my only answer is it depends on the roaster the coffee the probe, its placement, so I cannot answer that question. Yeah, and, and, and often I would say it depends on who would you like to uh, serve this coffee to, what is their preferences. Okay. You need to kind of, uh, I have this, coffee has a purpose, and sometimes the purpose is your own palate, and sometimes it's somebody else's. Yeah. And the question is, what do they like? 
and then you go backwards and design uh, something that is uh, designed to to uh, to be appreciated by somebody. Yeah, I I do the opposite. I make what I like, and then if you don't like it, then go <laughs> buy something else. <laughs> but maybe that's also why I'm not the yeah, biggest roastery no, in the no, world. No, 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 but but. That's a business decision. That's yeah. a, a business model. So there's nothing wrong with that yeah. because it's a strategy, and that's a bu- business strategy. So so uh, and that's very very authentic. Uh, so, but but as a consultant, I kind of have to be able to work with whatever strategy people tell me that they yeah. would like. So it, it doesn't work for me to go to Kuwait, for example, and uh, and tell them it has to be Actron 120 because that that's what I prefer. They yeah. pay me to be successful. And then I'll start to be uh, understand. Uh, first thing, I would uh, serve a lot of different roast degrees to the local audience, understand where they are, and then go from there, uh, serve something that is not exactly what they like, but something that's close enough uh, to be familiar and then far enough to be novel. Mm. And kind of make something that people uh, like because it's familiar, but also because it's slightly different. That's my approach when, when I work. But it complete, depends completely what the client wants. Mm. So let me ask you this because I know you've done some research on it, but uh, let's say we had the same coffee and we roasted it in, uh, let's say, a probat or a loring or whatever. And then we had three different times. So let's say one profile was eight minutes, one was 10 minutes and one was 12 minutes and they had the same color. Would there be a huge difference in how they taste? Oh, that's such an interesting question. Uh, I, I tend to uh, agree with uh, Rob Hoos uh, on, on, on this that, again, and I think it, 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 go, it follows very well this first principle, it's just the coffee getting browner. Mm. And, um, and if the color is the same though. If the color is the same, yes. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah you are right. Um, then uh, I wouldn't be able to, uh, to, to, uh, to taste uh, big differences and I wouldn't uh, put my life at risk to be able to distinguish in a, in a triangular cupping. That said, we have recently found some interesting data on uh, uh, some uh, aroma analysis on, on uh, strongholds, uh, halogen uh, uh, heat source, where it's, we, on the cupping, cupping table, it's small differences. Uh, according to the chemistry, it's clear differences in aromas, but sensorically it's small differences. And uh, and I I I would be a bit worried to to if I were to be uh, tasked to to differentiate between the same coffee roasted to the same color on different machines where even the roast profiles uh, are, are lined up. I would be nervous if I would be able to do that. To mm. be honest. Yeah. That said, I have something really interesting with the Ikawa because. Uh, let's say my kind of standard roast profile uh, on, 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 on these uh, drum roasters would be first crack in nine minutes and a development time of light roast, one minute development time and darker roast, two minutes, two, 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 and, two and a half. Um, that's pretty standard for all of them, even the stronghold that is a completely different uh, upright uh, design. And, yeah. and uh, But the Ikawa being a f- small 50 gram roaster, if I go beyond seven minutes it starts to taste roasty yeah but if i stay below seven i can make it taste as amazing as any of the drum roasters and my uh, what really annoys me is that i do not i'm not able to explain this theoretically okay it annoys me a lot because 
I have a suspicion that uh, because I have been roasting on smaller roasters and bigger, and I always find that smaller roasters with l smaller batches, I need to roast quicker than on a bigger roaster. Just because uh, if it's too slow, it just tastes more kind of smoky and, uh, and ashy. And, uh, but of course, if you go way too fast, you can also get these kind of green flavors yeah. where it's still the color is the same, but it still tastes green coffee, you know? So it, it seems like there's a relation between uh, if it's too quick, no good, and if it's too slow, no good. So we kind of have to find that window where it's okay, at least for the light roast that we're doing. But uh, that window is quite big. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like we're talking 10 seconds here. We might be talking like a minute or two on a bigger roaster. But on a smaller roaster, I feel that there's less kind of room for, uh, for error there. Yeah. I, I have this. I've been speaking with Rob Hoos about this. He has a theory about the high airflow on the, on the Ikawa mm. uh, is causing it. But I, it could be. Um, uh, but I, I've been thinking also that perhaps because when you have such a small uh, amount, you actually go straight into a later stage of the roasting, where the big, uh, the the bigger batches, you actually have some distance from the surface to the center. Yeah. So there might be uh, some time where you uh, where you need to kind of mix it around for a while until you get steady state, and then you can start to climb the mountain. But yeah. this is just my uh, hypothesis. There. So in with the Ikawa, you very quickly have a very, or any other small roaster, you have a very homogeneous system that is evenly heated up everywhere. Mm. And then you can start climbing. And if you take it for a longer time, then you go into the roastiness. Mm. But, but um, so there's I'm a momentum that you kind of need to heat up before you start to get these uh, reactions. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, some kind of momentum. But I think it's more like uh, making a mixing enough for the, all the beans to be at the same state yeah. without burning the others. If you try to heat up the center, you might burn uh, the surface, even though you have a good uh, uh, turning of, of, of the batch and, and, and so on. But it's actually something we want to look in pretty soon. We've found some partners who w might be able to measure chemically the difference uh, of the different stages of the, the Ikawa and, and the bigger ones. Uh, interesting. Yeah, that would be really yeah. interesting to do. All right. Uh, development time, you mentioned that word. Uh, explain what that is and what can it do for you uh, as a roaster? Yeah, so um, uh, very quickly, our research is, is simply uh, uh, designed around uh, color up against time and where we found that 80% uh, uh, of the flavor modulations comes from color alone and time is the uh, 20%. And then we looked at uh, 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 dividing the, the time frame into before first crack and after first crack. So in a sense we have three um, um, aspects of the roast, color, uh, and then before first crack and after first crack. And then in the different eight different research projects we, we've done, we merged all into one big database and we looked for the quantitative significance of these three factors. Mm. And it was very clear, of course, uh, that color was 80%. And then uh, development time was 15%-ish uh, and the time to first crack was 5%. Mm. These are rules of thumb, and but 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 this was pretty clear in our in our data. Um, so uh, and and the development time also, if you look at the existing existing uh, research article, just looking at chemistry, this is where the chemistry really starts to to change quickly. Mm. So the development time 
which is the time after first crack when it starts to become cinnamon and brownish. In this color. In color, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and, and this is where the, the, uh, all this, uh, these browning reactions start to kick mm. in. This is also where you get the quickest change in flavor. Mm. So there's a direct relationship between color and flavor. And when you can see that the coffee actually is very even up to first crack, it doesn't change that much over nine minutes. And all of a sudden after first crack, it changes very quickly. It's also a bit logical that this is also where the flavor is quickest. Um, I'm not saying that nothing happens before first crack. I'm just saying if we were to rank the importance of the three, color is number one, development time is number two, and time to first crack is number three. Mm. Interesting. And uh, let's say I had a Kenyan coffee, which most of uh, our followers uh, relate to as a very high acidity coffee, a lot of fruit flavor. Uh, like how can you alter or balance out that flavor with the development time and, and color. So um, if you want it to brew fruity, um, right? If you really want to get the fruit out of it, mm -hmm. um, um, that according to our data, uh, fruitiness is very related to uh, color. So choose it light. Fruitiness is very related to a short development time. So keep it short. Mm. Fruitiness is actually also, and acidity is also connected to first crack, so keep it short. Mm. So European, and this is where you have been kind of doing this for many years, uh, in a sense, people might be say that you invented it, but, <laughs> no. but, but I actually sneak peeked on some of your profiles, I think seven, eight years ago, yeah. and I saw that it was just full uh, flame, uh, yeah. and then just before first crack, you would kill it so that it just did like this. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is also by my experience where I really get the fruitiness out. And uh, as I mentioned before, Reza and I actually did this uh, a few uh, weeks ago on the bullet and on the, on the Loring, where we, where we wanted to maximize the free, uh, acidity and fruit, fruitiness on, on the Kenya and battled a bit uh, uh, to, to, to maximize it. Yeah. And this was just the, the strategy was to, um, to keep it as short and of course light as possible and we maximized it was very clear that our first experiments where we had I don't really remember but it might have been first crack after nine and a half minutes and then we did some where we pushed the first crack to eight and a half minutes mm. uh, I'm pretty sure that these are the correct numbers and then the fruitiness just really popped a little popped, bit more uh, yeah. so speed is uh, essential and of course light color is yeah. essential I also, it's kind of my experience that, uh, you know, fast for light roast is good. Yeah. But uh, we tend to, it's easy to lose control if you have like full flame from start to end. So we have to kind of moderate the flame at the end a little bit because the beans are getting lighter and they're also generating their own energy. So if you want to kind of be able to be consistent in the end result and have a little bit more, I would say, slack on when to drop the beans out of the roaster, it's a good idea not to go full flame from yeah, yeah. start to finish. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, not full flame. No, 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 no. Definitely, no, I'm not advocating that at all. <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, but, 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 uh, because then you would also get first crack at seven minutes, yeah. right? That would be way too fast. But, 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 uh, but you can, you can, uh, you can play around with 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 this. And and the interesting thing is, we did that that experiment, 
and it it's it aligned completely with what we have in the article yeah. and what I've seen your profiles and and uh, so luckily our research aligns very well with with what we see in the market mm. when you want to really maximize the fruitiness. But a very important thing here is you have to have high quality greens. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. no way, and and this is also in our in our when in our teaching material, we have kind of this pyramid of of importance of uh, of factors. The bottom, green coffee. Yeah. On top of that, color. On top of that, uh, development time. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, drum speed, uh, airflow, inlet temperature. You can play around with it. It does make a small difference, but do not start. I see too many startups trying to get some cheap green and hope that they can do some rate of rice and, 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 and then they get amazing coffee, right? Yeah. It's just so many different uh, <laughs> wrong focuses to, to, to have. So this is where we try to have this pyramid with green coffee, color, development time, all the rest. Yeah, this is actually what I, I normally preach when I do roast trainings for professionals, is that you have to start with the good quality yeah. green beans. And I know because I've, that's the kind of strategy I chose from quite early on. And I know how easy it is to roast coffee when you have good quality coffee beans. Yeah, I, I have a small anecdote here. I've been trying uh, as a consultant when you arrive and they they, they don't want to pay for you to, to help them source the green coffee. They want to skip that part. Mm. And then, they, then you arrive when they have the green bags uh, of coffee and you can just see this, this is... You can pull it in all direction and it's, it's just boring cardboard uh, taste. And, yeah. and, uh, and they kind of, oh, we paid you for... Yeah, but, you know, yeah. I, and, but I've also tried the opposite where I consulted and they had just an amazing green. And then I saw the roast profiles, and all the roast profiles went like normally, and then they did like that in the end. Which is, so it, they dipped in Sorry, the they dipped yeah. in the end. They clearly just reached the temperature, and then they started to go negative on the bean temperature yeah. for 30 seconds. And that's just uh, that's a good. complete no-go. So I thought, this is going to be an easy win, right? So I, uh, let, let's look at this, and nice profiles. Nobody could hardly taste the difference on the cupping table. So if you have really good high-quality uh, high greens, it's just good meat. You can make it rare or, 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 or what's it called when it's fully done? Uh, it's called the disaster, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, 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 but, well but if it's high, uh, well done, if it's high-quality meat, it, it, it could still, still taste, be well yeah. done. Uh, so so it, it's the same with, uh, with coffee, right? Yeah. Hello, it's Tim again. And unfortunately, that was all that we were managing to record while I was in Copenhagen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the conversation that I had with uh, Morten Munchau and stay tuned for the next episode where we're talking more about uh, sensory science and uh, the findings they've found with uh, some research they've done on different acids in coffee. Now, if you have any comments or questions or suggestions to this, pod this podcast, you can contact us through the webpage timwendelbo.no or you can send us a direct message or a comment in our Instagram feeds. Uh, I hope to be able to record a little bit more of these podcasts in the near future so that we can have a couple of more episodes coming out this year. So stay tuned and thanks for listening. Have a great evening or day or morning, whatever you prefer.